Solomon's temple was amazing. And against the temple, he built chambers all around, against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary, and the inner sanctuary, which is the Holy of Holies, that 30 by 30 cube area where the Ark of the Covenant was. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable, you place the Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. You are amazing, God. This chapter describes the building of the temple and its associated areas. There are four main structures described. The temple proper, divided into two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place. The vestibule, or entrance hall, on the east side of the temple proper. The three-storied side chambers, which surrounded the temple proper, on the north, south, and west sides. And a large courtyard surrounding the whole structure. Allowing for the outside storage rooms, the vestibule, and the estimated thickness of the walls, the total size of the structure was approximately 110 feet long and 75 feet wide. Now here's Pastor Rob with today's study. In the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, Notice, specifically, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, and even more specifically, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month that he, Solomon, began to build the house of the Lord. Circle that whole entire verse if you have to. Put a star by it, because this is one of those things. You know, and and verse 1 tells us the month and the year when the temple began construction, And uh, again, remember, up to this time, the children of Israel, uh, since they had come out of Egypt, they had only had the tabernacle, but by by this time, it was in bad shape, and, uh, and David had to build another tabernacle for the ark. But notice what it says in 2 Chronicles. You might want to put a footnote off to the verse 1 there and put 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 2. And the reason is, is because it gives us a little more information about when specifically this temple began to be built. And, and I love this because God didn't leave it to chance. He made sure that the, the exact time was known. And it says in 2 Chronicles 3, verse 2, And Solomon and he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why am I making such a big deal of it? Well, because this is how we are able to determine the events in the Bible. Because once we have specific descriptors like this, and and there's a number of them throughout the Bible, it is easier to build a timeline based on other events that occurred that have been dated in unanimously, even in secular history. See, the Bible doesn't say this happened in 32 AD. Because honestly, all this stuff that we're talking about now didn't have a date assigned to it, really, until after Jesus was born. And then they started recalibrating time, didn't they? About when things happened. Why? Because of the the birth of Christ. It was, you know, 
seven, you know, 586 B.C. when the, you know, Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem before Christ, right? So they know when Jesus was born, and they also started to relate to events as either before Christ or in the year of our Lord after he, after he was born. Do you follow me? And so by having these descriptors here in the Bible, and there's many of them, it's easy, even secular history, they keep track of dates. The Bible is not, it is a history book, but it's not just a history book. It's more than that. It's a book of redemption. It doesn't mean that you can't follow dates and, and, and put, a, put a timeline together. You can certainly do that. But, but you can go to outside sources to find that stuff very easily, and, and, and that we have. That we have. But notice, the house of the Lord, and then in, uh, in, in chapter 6 here, in verse 38, notice what it says, that it gives us the date that it was finished on. It gives us a specific date. You might want to put on verse 1, just put on uh, uh, verse 38, and, and then you can look at verse 38. It's at the very end of this chapter. So the first verse and the last verse give us the beginning, when, it was, when the, the temple began, and verse 38 gives us, it says, In the 11th year, in the month of Bull, which is the 8th month, the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans, so he was seven years in building it. And actually, it, seven years is a round number, but it was actually seven and a half years. Because it was in the first, in the second month, and now you're looking at the 8th eighth, eighth month in the 11th year or whatever, so you do the math, it's really seven years and six months, but they just round it to seven years. It does no big deal here. But if we think about this, and, and why this is so wonderful, this verse, this very first verse, is that we know that Solomon, his reign began in 971 B.C. And so, in the fourth year of his reign would be 967 B.C., Correct? And then if we go back 480 years, which is what it tells us in verse 1, then we give, with that date comes to 4, 1447 B.C. And that's the date. That's the hard date when Israel came out of Egypt. And so now everything in the Bible as you go through things, now you can start relating things to these things and building your timeline. And, and it's good to do that. As you become students of the Word, don't be afraid to do that. And take the Word at, a, at, its, uh, at face value and start doing these things. And, and you'll get a broader understanding of when things happen and how they happened. And it really helps you to put things into place. And that means then that if the Jews enjoyed, and, and when the temple was completed, because we know it took seven years, they enjoyed the completed temple from 960 BC until 586. A total of 374 years. That's all they had to enjoy that temple once it was completed. Because in 606, we know that Nebuchadnezzar came against it. And he sieged it for 20 years. Do you understand what a siege is? They, they just surround it and they try to starve them out. Get them to surrender. They don't attack them. They just build a siege all the way around it. And so he did that for 20 years. But then what happened in 586? He said, enough's enough. We're done here and we're going to torch this place. And that's exactly what he did. He took many Jews back to Babylon. Three deportments of Jews, it tells us in Daniel and other places. Now look at verse 2. It says, Now the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, notice dimensions, its length was 60 cubits and 
its width 20 cubits and its height 30 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches. Usually they uh, develop the cubit from the elbow to the tip of the finger, but you know everybody's a little bit different. So it's roughly 18 inches. Uh, there's another cubit, which is about 21 inches. So we don't really know what cubit they're using, but we'll just stick with 18 because that's the common, uh, the common thing. So that, that means that the temple was 90 feet long It was 30 feet wide, if you do the math, and 45 feet high, according to the standard uh, cubit. And the Holy of Holies, which was only a third of that, so you had 60, was the the, the main part, the, the nave, if you will, the holy place. And then you had the Holy of Holies, which is a 30 by 30 cube. That was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that was the only piece of furniture in there other than the cherubim that were over the Ark of the Covenant. And so notice now going on in verse 3, it says, The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. And Solomon made for the house windows with beveled frames, and against the wall of the temple he built chambers all around, against the walls of the temple all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around. And they would use these side chambers for uh, places for the priests to gather, for places of storage uh, and things of that nature. And they were all surrounding the the, the main part of the of the temple. So you had... Uh, the main, the Holy of Holies here, or the, the Holy Place, I'm sorry, where they would have the entrance here, and then you'd have the lampstands over on the left side, then the tables of showbread, and then right here you would have the altar of incense, and then there'd be a door, and then on the other side of that, a 30 by 30 cube of the Holy of Holies. Again, the only thing in there was the Ark of the Covenant and the two 15-foot Um, gold cherubims with their wings touching, looking in on the mercy seat upon the temple. And so, and there was a vestibule in front of this thing where there was ascending steps, a very beautiful place, one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. And the inside of this, as we'll see, was glorious. It was completely filled. It was, it was, uh, they had uh, cedar and um, cypress. The whole thing was made of cedar. The outside was made of limestone and, uh, and then cedar on the inside. And then they would overlay the cedar with, com- with sheets of gold hammered very thin. Because real gold is very malleable. And you can take a piece of real solid gold and you can break it and, and you, can, you can hammer it and you can hammer it out into a sheet. And that's what they did. And they hammered it out and smoothed it all out and affixed it to the cedar on the side of the walls. The floors, the ceiling, the sides of the wall, everything was gold. Think of how that might look. Walking into a room and all you see is solid gold all around you. And why is that? It's to, it's to show that, it's to be a reflection of God. The most precious thing that we have on earth, at least for most people, is gold. And yet God made this and he could care less about the gold. But we treasure that and this is, this, is, this is the best we got. So with the best that we have, we're going to build a house And we're going to worship God in this house, and it's the best. It is the best. It was the best that has ever been seen. Solomon's temple was amazing. And against the temple, he built chambers all around, against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary, and the inner sanctuary, which is the Holy of Holies, that 30 by 30 cube area where the Ark of the Covenant was. 
And thus he made side chambers all around. Verse 6, the lowest chamber was five cubits. And so there was three different levels. The, the very first one uh, had, a, had a, a span of, uh, of five cubits across. And then there was another chamber on top of that, the second chamber, the second level, if you will, all around this, uh, the nave of, of the temple. And, there would be, and then it would be uh, six cubits wide instead of five. And the third was seven cubits wide. So it was getting wider and wider, these rooms, as it went up. And there were, uh, and, and he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. And the temple, verse 7, when it was built, was built with stone. Notice, I love verse 7, mark that, because, uh, and they finished the stone at the quarry, uh, many much farther away, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while, while it was being built. So the materials of the temple were chiseled and made away from the temple mount. And, you know, you may wonder, why is this mentioned here? What's the significance? We know that God gave similar instruction when it came to building the altar, remember, for the temple or for the tabernacle? Remember what he said to Moses when they were just building the altar? When they were just building the altar in which they would offer sacrifices on, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, it says this, An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And notice verse 25, And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you use a, your tool on it, you have profaned it. You've profaned it. You, you've made it an abomination unless you make it simple. God didn't need anything ornate. See, all of the other gods, of the, the false gods, remember the, the, the god of the... Syrians, remember uh, a king went up there one time, I, 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 think it was, uh, I think it was Ahaz, I'm not sure, but he went up there to visit them and he was so enamored by the, how nicely they built everything that he came back and he, he decided he wanted to build an, an altar just like the one he saw to a, that was to a false god. So in his heart he's thinking, well, if this false god has this beautiful altar, then our god's going to have a nice altar and it's going to be much better. I don't blame him for his zeal, but he was completely wrong because God told him not to put any chisel to it, right? And, but even the building of the temple was to be built in consecration. It was to be holy. And it shouldn't surprise us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, what does God say to us through the Apostle Paul? He says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And so I believe that this is a type, that it, the type is what is important here. The type is what is important. And just as the temple was quietly being built somewhere else, and then when everybody would bring the materials and everything was fit and cut, and they would bring it, and they would just put it in its place, and there was heard no sound. It was the quiet. It was quiet on that temple mount while they were building it. And it makes you wonder, well, why? Why? Well, I'm going to give you my opinion of why. 
Because just as the temple was quietly being built, so too the Holy Spirit is quietly. If the Holy Spirit indwells us and we are the temple, did he come upon you like a gorilla? Did he come upon you and shake you violently and you fell to the ground and you, know, you gave all your money to the church? Was that really what happened to you like you see on T- TBN sometimes, these preachers? You know, be healed, and the, you know, and the, he raises the hand, and he gets it going, and he starts pointing his hand, and the guy falls down and wiggles and gives up the ghost, you know, or something, you know, something happens. And it's like, is that really the way it happened? It's not the way it happened to me. Was it dramatic? Yes. But was it peaceful? Did it break my heart? Was it in the inner part of me that I couldn't see? Yes, it was. And it was that way for you, too. It just came, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, just comes upon you and just breaks your heart. And then you're finally, um, you know, just completely uh, blown away at God's holiness, you know, and what he has done. And so just as this temple was being built out of sight, out of mind, so too the Spirit of God. You know, didn't Jesus say that the Spirit comes and goes as he, you know, you don't know where he's coming and where he's going. And so is, is it for everyone who's born again. It's a mystery, isn't it? It's a mystery, And when the Holy Spirit of God is at work, there is gentleness, there's peace, and and many other things as well. We we read that list in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against there is no such law. You know, these things, it's peaceful, it's gentle. And even the construction of the temple, which in a, in, a, in a picture we are as well, was done in the stillness, in the quiet. It was done with self-control. It was done very peaceably. And see, that's the type of, I believe, uh, based on the scripture, of why that was. It was a type. All these things have foreshadowed. In fact, types in the Bible are important because they establish a precedent that God is setting a precedent that he's saying, setting. And in fact, uh, uh, just really quickly, a good example of that is when God, in, uh, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, he tells uh, Moses to strike the rock. Remember, they were thirsty and complaining. And so he says to him, Moses, take the rod that you rose to part the Red Sea, take that same rod, strike the rock, and water will come forth. Just simply do what I tell you to do. Don't worry about how hard you hit it. He could have really whacked it, or he could have just went up and just... And that water would have gushed, right? And so he did. He struck it once. But later on in Numbers chapter 20, remember, again, as they were traveling, that rock began, you know, they, uh, God, they started to complain again, so God tells them to Moses to go speak to the rock. Moses, just go speak to the rock and it will bring forth water. So what does he do? He does just the opposite. He's so mad at the people at this time, the people of God. He's so mad at this time. He's like, you rebels. And he grabs his staff and he whacks it twice, man. He just hits it and he hits it again. And, uh, and then God in his grace allows the water to come forth. He allows it. And why was that a big deal? And God told Moses, Moses, because you have done this, you will not go into the promised land. Why is that? Because he broke the type that God was trying to establish. And what do I mean by that? Jesus was struck once and for all, wasn't he? He wasn't struck twice. He was struck once. Once. 
And when Moses struck the second time, he broke the type, in a sense. And there was a consequence. There was ramifications for blowing that type. And you're not going to go into the promised land. You're going to see it. You can get up on the mountain and take a look around, but that's all you're going to get, Moses. I love you, and you're coming to glory with me, but there's a, there's a, a consequence for the sin of yours, your, the sin of anger. All I wanted you to do was speak to it, and you struck it twice. Christ was not struck twice. And in fact, in Corinthians, it says, and and here's what it says in Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, Paul says to them, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, and he's speaking here of the Old Testament during the time of the Exodus, that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things have become our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, it's really interesting in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 10 when it says, now these things became examples. In the Greek, the word is typos, where we get our word type. It was a type. It was a a foreshadowing, a, 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 a stamp, if you will. It was a a resemblance, a sample of what was going to come. In fact, it was a type, uh, a person or a thing prefiguring a future messianic person or thing, which we know was Christ, as we read in 1 Corinthians. So it was all a type. And so types are important. And so when they had to create or to make this temple, it was quarried somewhere else, and those materials were brought And even in that, we see the type of just the Spirit of God doing things quietly and peacefully in which temple we are. And I love the peace that he gives us. And see, the more that we allow Christ to live in us and to to rest in him, the better off we are going to be. But see, we create problems for ourselves when we... um, We get distracted. We watch too much news. We do this or do that. We find ourselves not really at peace anymore. And it's because we've got our eyes off of him and onto other things. So much so that these things are rattling our cages and he wants us to be right here where he can just speak peaceably to us. And that's something that we really need to take a look at today. Perhaps many of you are struggling with these kind of things. I know I struggle with these things. I'm no different than anybody else. I have my, my struggles, and I get distracted. And, um, you know, it's something that we need to take a look at, though, because God would have us to have more peace than what we have right now, I believe. Much more peace. But so many are so frazzled about politics and other things. And you know what? And, and let me just be honest. That, that there, there are things to be concerned about. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that you stick your head in the sand and act like nothing's happening. No, you don't do that. But you can be aware and you can still have the peace. You just got to fill your head with the word of God and not fill your head with all the other junk. And it is junk, by the way. It's junk. It's not going to do anything for you. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.